I like turtles. What's it like to walk around with half a fucking brain? There's a black angel out there. A big, big black angel with long fingers. We tried our best. It's Perry Mason. Welcome to the Center Cut. I'm Perry Mason. And I'm Perry Mason. We're all Perry Mason. This is going to be confusing. Oh, yeah. I'm Perry Mason from the TV show that aired back in 1950s. Okay, I'm the HBO Perry Mason. Okay, that's we can we can handle that. I'm just going to yell a lot. I'm not done yet! Yeah! <laughs> no, I'm Michael. And I'm Dave. And we're going to talk about Perry Mason, the new HBO show. But first, Michael, tell the people... What the hell we normally do here? So we watched the first episode and the last episode, episode one, episode eight, nothing in between. We're going to do a little recap, and then we have some questions to try to help us figure out the damn middle. Boom. So Perry Mason is actually a reboot of a billion other Perry Masons. The new show came to HBO just uh, towards the end of June here this year, um, of, of which the number I will not speak. And it was originally a novel and, a, well, multiple novels and short stories, actually up to 80 of them, that originally came out back in 1933 and beyond. It was adapted into a few different motion pictures and long run, a long-running radio series. That was all back in the 50s, 60s, around that time. Robert Downey Jr. was actually approached to star in a movie. Um, he was going to be Perry Mason. But his film schedule with all the feature film Avengers and, and shit like that was so crazy that he couldn't fit it in. But he kind of took this on as a pet project. And actually him and his wife with his production company helped produce this this show. It did get a 76 on Rotten Tomatoes. And just a few weeks ago was approved for season two. Yeah. So I have to be honest. I always confused Perry Mason with Dick Tracy. I thought they were one and the same. So I really had no idea what this was going to be about. But I was pleasantly surprised. Dick Mason or Perry Tracy. I don't know which one of those I like better. I also didn't know that it was going to be a period piece. And I've just never been a fan of them. I don't get I just don't get the appeal of wanting to see stuff from way before. Like, what's the draw? Like, I get to see people wearing clothes that my grandpa could have worn. Like, who cares? Who gives a shit? Like, we know that every single person in this, if this was a real thing, is dead. Like they're all they're all it doesn't matter what happens in their pathetic lives. They're going to die before now, at least when you're watching something that's present, you, like something could happen. You that one of the people in it could be the fucking astronaut that lands on Mars and fucks an alien like you, you just don't know. There's 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 the possibility for things to happen. If something's taking place in the past, it's just nobody cares. That, Little baby, new baby Charlie could be alive, <sighs> but he'd be like 90. So who cares? Yeah. That's true. The ramblings of a 90 year old man who was the reincarnation of a, a murdered baby. I Listen, I get that. No, not everybody shares my sentiment there. A lot of people do enjoy period pieces or, 
you know, things that people will watch movies from the 50s and be like, oh, that was enjoyable. Fuck that. I hate anything in black and white. But th- we're, we're already too far astray. We have we have a lot to cover here. So let's I would agree with you. Normally, I don't like when things are specifically re- written and produced to be older. However, this character was originally developed and the first stories came out in 1933. So I know it's defined as a period piece, but it's not quite a period piece in my eyes because the character that we're following was in that timeline. So it almost be them not really following the character correctly, like like shows that put Sherlock Holmes in, in the future times is just dumb. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. And, and that's fair. And and I enjoyed this overall, so... I'm surprised. All right, well, let's dive into the recap. So 1931, Los Angeles at the Angels Flight Railway. Now, this show to me is already a 1930s prestige TV HBO version of the Amazon Prime show Bosch. Uh, and that's not a bad show, so I'm okay with that because there's actually a season of Bosch that's centered around the Angels Flight Railway. So... It is what it is. Now, a man and woman are seemingly part of a kidnapping ransom for their son. And as instructed, they leave the briefcase chock full of $2 bills and head to the rail car to find their baby. Mm. The man who dropped off the baby hops into a getaway car and they crash into a trolley. It looks cartoonish, but they got away. Yeah, bad form. Spoiler alert. The baby, Charlie, is dead with his eyes stitched open and it is creepy looking. Yeah, that was creepy. How was dealing with that as a new father? If I picked up a dead body, I would be hot potatoing that shit and hurling it away like it was a leaking bag of dog excrement. Okay, hold on. He was clearly dead. It's not like you're going to be able to revive him at that point. Like you wouldn't toss your dead baby like your dead son. It's not like you're picking up someone else's dead baby. You wouldn't pick up your dead son and just be like, oop, nope, and throw him. I would. If I picked up anything that there was even a 50% chance that there could be maggots about to touch my hand, I'm getting that out of my hand. Oh, God. So if this was you, you would have just like fucking Tom Brady him right out the window or some shit. Yes. Oh, God. If I knew he was dead, if there was no chance that he was alive and clearly looking at that baby, he's green and his fucking eyes are stitched. He's dead. Get rid of it. Oh, wow. That that is a harsh image. Well, anyway, <laughs> that's difficult to, to imagine. So the man like the father, we find out later that I, I I think we find out later that he's pseudo involved in the kidnapping part. It's That's kind of hazy, but he just held the baby so calmly. I just couldn't do that. He did. I thought the wife held it. I can't remember. They both touched it. OK, they both touched the dead baby. So we get the title card after that. And then we meet Perry Mason and his associate played by Shay Wiggum. I don't think we ever learned the associate's name. Yep, if we Pete. do, it escaped Pete. me. It's Pete. OK. So we learn that they're tailing a fat, obnoxious guy, Chubby Carmichael, who is going to see his own movie in the theater. Mm, this this made me happy. I listen to my own podcast when it comes out and laugh at my own jokes, so I get it. I only laugh at my jokes. Your jokes are terrible. Now, he actually is a fictional stand-in for Fatty Arbuckle, and they are trying to catch him doing something risque because uh, they're PIs for hire. Yeah, this is interesting to me, like... It it seems like the production company that has hired Chubby sent Perry Mason to get Chubby out of his contract by catching him doing something dastardly. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's odd to me. I, I mean, I guess in the 1930s is kind of a different time. Now, yeah. like, actors just do whatever the fuck they want. Right. But in the 30s, it, you know, you had to keep up a clean image. Everyone was going to church and pious people who you couldn't you didn't want to show a tit on TV. But now... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything's fair game. Yep. 
So it turns out Chubby is meeting with a beautiful starlet and Mason sneaks in to snap some photos. Mm-hmm. The woman is naked on a table full of food and Chubby is eating some pie out of her pie. This is really great you're, to me. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're cutting out. It's You're still cutting out. What? It sounds like you're fucking a robot in the mouth. Okay, talk now. Wait, I was. Is that the problem? <laughs> so this was really great to me. One reason is that when I saw this, I immediately thought of you. And some people might think that's a little weird. And they're absolutely right. But I thought of you because I know how much you hate being sweaty and sticky. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is like the culmination of stickiness is having sex with food involved. Mm-hmm. I can just like, were you even able to watch this without going into like an OCD PTSD shock type of scenario? No, it is a yeast infection waiting to happen. I, I don't don't understand putting food items in and around your crotch. Like if you need to put whipped cream on the other person's genitals to be able to have oral sex, you're a child. If you think, oh, well, it tastes bad. I got to get something sugary. Get yourself a sexual partner who washes themselves properly. Eat dessert and then fuck. Also, like even if something tastes bad, just like putting whipped cream on a handful of shit doesn't make the shit taste good. Nope. That's I'm my out. analogy that I'm making right now. Just don't combine dessert and fucking. It's unnecessary. Yeah. Except everyone loves a little whipped cream on a nipple. That's all I can say. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know that you wouldn't like this. This is obvious. Our our listeners already knew when they were watching this. I'm sure I'm not the only one who immediately thought of you when they saw this big fat man eating out this redhead with food on her pussy. Yep. Uh, Anyway, a naked chubby chases Mason off as him and Pete get away, and he has a giant penis. Yeah, he's got a chubby, chubby, chubby. He does. Chubby's got a chubby, chubby. Eight minutes in, and we have a dead baby and a man dick. HBO is on point. Yeah, they're really going for it. No, I I could never do that as an actor, like, unless I was erect. Real talk. This is the trust tree here. I'm a grower. Now, I have a perfectly average-sized manhood, but when I'm flaccid, it looks like a like a frayed rope or like an empty water balloon or like a piece of cooked ziti. A frayed rope seems interesting to me. Just the frayed part of the rope at the end. Why would it be cooked ziti if you're flaccid? Because it's floppier than, than uncooked ziti. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> I was thinking of backwards ziti in the backwards lands that I live. Yeah. Anyway, we are far flung. So (laughs) Mason goes to his dairy farm, which is adjacent to a sightseeing tour airport, question mark. Yep. That tracks. Uh, His package to Teddy was returned. His barn roof is trash. And John Lithgow shows up to gawk at Chubby's Chubby. Thank goodness for John Lithgow. He also talks some shit about the farm and the egg, quote unquote, on Mason's tie. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see that Mason has a tattoo for 79th Infantry, which I'm assuming was his lot in the war. He goes to peddle his chubby picks and tries to blackmail the studio since the pie that Peter Peter Pumpkin pie eater was munching on belonged to up-and-comer Velma Fuller. Also known as Red. Also known as Red. It's a bold move, and it will not pay off. Do you think she's red on the head and the bed? Ooh, I like that. That's that's a good way to phrase it. I do. Me too. Who knows, though? It was, it was covered in pie. Probably cherry. Turns out the egg on the tie was mustard, and he turns the morgue into a thrift shop and finds a new tie. Yeah, that was interesting to me. And there's like a cop standing right there just letting this dude sell shit out of people's whatever those are called sarcophagi. Yeah, I mean, I guess like what 
it's just going to get thrown away. You don't bury like a loose tie with somebody. I mean, so. it's not like none of that was evidence. Well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. If the, I mean, if they're in the morgue and getting an autopsy, chances are there was something a little sketchy going on. Dave, can you explain this trial to me? Is he defending himself? What 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 is it? Like, is he a witness? Is he on trial for something? The trial. I don't remember that part. <laughs> He's on the stand and he talks about throwing a cow pie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do remember. So it does sound like he's at a trial for something because, you know, we seeing that he's a detective and blah, 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 blah. But it does become apparent that people and I think this speaks a lot to how trials and the legal system worked back in the 1930s is it was more about discrediting the witnesses and things like that than it was actually looking at any kind of you know evidence or anything like that so it seems like he was there to try and you know give his his opinion on something but they just spent the whole time trying to discredit him by telling him that he threw a cow pie at somebody yeah i mean and it does make sense there's a question we have on it later on that i kind of touch on that so it makes sense that in the 30s that's really all they could do they didn't have hard evidence so yeah it's not like they were gonna like find dna and shit like right. that. right well anyway uh we meet della street who is later in the meeting with baggerly played by an actor who had a bit role in lost jesus god damn it oh just wait he uh in lost he got sawyer to kill a guy radiant assembly of god <laughs> uh yeah that's that's the name of baggerly's church and he wants mason to investigate the murder of baby charlie because the LAPD sucks. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, two LAPD detectives and the Mason crew are at the Dodson house now, and they're asking questions of the husband and wife. Perry and Emily, the wife, talk for a bit. We learn Perry's son likes fire trucks. That's important later. And Charlie was the I like turtles kid. Mm -hmm. He did like turtles. I don't get it. What don't you get about a turtle? Oh, I love turtles. Turtles are my favorite animal. Then why don't you get his love for turtles? No, I get his love. I just don't. They. It seems like they linger on it, like they're trying to make some connection. Like, I don't know, your home's where you are. I, I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. Meh. Anyway, Mason, E.B., and Della are at the office drinking and talking about the case. Mason has his doubts about the kidnapping and thinks that it may be an inside job. Mm. Speaking of inside jobs, Mason has sex with the Mexican Amelia Earhart. <laughs> What a great explanation of that. This is also one of my favorite scenes we've ever seen in, in any of the shows we've ever watched. It's so good. They bang in so many positions, and Mason is disinterested as fuck the entire he just, time. He just doesn't give a flying fuck, no pun intended. He just doesn't give a shit. And then oh, and then at the end, when she's just like fucking him really hard, and the bed slowly starts to fall away from the wall, and he just like falls in that crack in between the wall and the bed, and it's just yeah. kind of like stuck there like a like a turtle on a chair. Yeah, she was stepping on his neck before he before he got pinned like that, and I don't know how. Like for a second, it looked it looked like it was a fake arm. I don't know how he had it contorted that way. Oh my god, it was so like I. If I was drinking coffee, I would have spit it out. And I don't know if they <laughs> intended that to be that funny, but man, oh man, was it funny. It was great. Uh, speaking of the bed, I, I I thought it looked small as hell, and my research tells me that queen and king size beds weren't created until the fifties. Yeah, which both blows my mind and makes logical sense. Yeah, I think it was just because like rooms in general were smaller back then. Well, plus people were smaller. That is also true. So I think people are smaller, rooms are smaller. Why would you have big beds? I know it's just people weren't all all high and mighty about how big their bed is, like shack. <laughs> 
Like, I don't need to hear about your big bed shack. It's still kind of crazy to think about that. Like, less than 80 years ago, I'd have to have my feet over the edge of the bed. Like, that's just crazy. One is that you probably would have been a few inches shorter, so you probably wouldn't have had your feet over the edge of the bed. But there is a very good chance you could have got fucked into a corner. So, there's that. Nobody fucks me into a corner. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> do you think this lady flies home after sex? I don't know if she lives up here or if she, Yeah, that's a great question. It it seemed like she resides here, but I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. She offers him $6,500 for the farm, and he denies. Yep. Next morning, Mason goes to Angel's flight, and he takes a hobo death tour, and then he breaks into the whole hotel room overseeing the railway. LAPD detectives Ennis and Holcomb were already there, and it doesn't go so swell. Detective Holcomb looks like an ugly, chubby Kevin Costner. I know who he is, but I'm saving it for a later scene. Oh, okay. Well, chubby Kevin Costner, continue. They don't like each other, but it makes sense based on what we see in the last episode, why the two were already in the room. They bicker, blah, blah, blah. Mason's back at the morgue, and he takes home one of the threads used to stitch the dead baby's eyes open. Didn't need to see that. Spoiler alert, he keeps it through the entire goddamn show. So he's had that thing in his pocket for months at least yeah and a matchbox in his pocket so this is around christmas time and then i think at the end it's around easter right uh yes so i mean we're talking three to four months yeah uh we head to the movie studios new year's party next which mason was invited to to discuss business imagine being one of those poor schlubs who has to dump fake snow in the party for hours on end I mean, that would more than likely be our job. That's true. The party sucks, and we get some growing tension between Perry and... I keep calling this guy Shay, but he's the actor. It's Pete, yes. Hammersmith takes Perry out back, says, fuck your couch, and gives him $1 instead of the 600 he was asking for. Yeah, real dick move. Then his cronies literally brand him with a smoking gun. Yeah, that was intense. Blackmail never pays off. When will people learn? This is true. Law-breaking never ends well, no matter what type. Thank you. You're welcome. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Let's kiss. Three later. Three goons wait in a hotel room. They were in on Charlie's kidnapping, and they're waiting for their cut. Mm -hmm. Detective Ennis shows up, gives them nothing, and shoots them all. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was Ennis the first time I watched it. I had to kind of like... Because we only saw Ennis for just just a few minutes in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It took me a second to kind of register that. I'm Agreed. sure it was really nailed down over future episodes, so someone who watched the whole series would know what the fuck was going on, but I was a little lost at first. No, I agree. It, I didn't know right away, but as as it was happening, you know, as I was watching more, I was like, hey, that looks kind of like the guy from earlier. So oh, That looks like that guy that punched the other guy. <laughs> yeah, one of the guys gets away while Ennis chokes out another dude with his foot, and Ennis chases the escaping man up to the roof, his shot arm and all, and it's actually my favorite scene. He tries to jump across to another rooftop, but because he can't do anything with his kablammed shoulder, he loses his grip and falls stories down to a stairwell and presumably dies, which ties up the loose ends there. Yep. So Ennis is in the clear. Take all that money for himself. Yep. And back at the Mason farm, Perry tries to call his son. It's too late for that, Poppy. And he takes out his anger on a toy fire truck with a baseball bat. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, he was a mad boy. He was. Uh, his drunken stupor continues and he starts spreading pictures, notes and newspapers out on the floor, trying to stitch the case together one eyelid at a time. And that is where the first episode ends. What a frightening analogy. Maybe his son couldn't come to the phone because his son had died and his wife just kind of threw him out a window. 
uh, maybe that's dark, but who knows? Yep. You're right. It is pretty dark. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Episode eight, aptly named chapter eight. A bunch of boys report to who we find out and learn is Mother McKeegan, one of the leaders of the Radiant Assembly of God, of which I did not think was going to have as large of a part in this movie as it did. For show. Oh, yeah, it's a show, but in the show. So a bunch of these boys report to Mother McKeegan about a missing person. They're looking for someone. There's also a baby here, and they are looking also for Emily Dobson on top of the other person that they're looking for. These these kind of like cult-type churches freak me out. All these people were in this damn house just hanging out with this lady, but I just don't understand. I guess that's what kind of takes it from just a, a church and or or a religion to a cult is like, everyone's here like there's just people standing and sitting around and i don't understand that at all nope but emily and mystery are discussing her shiner and also talking about where charlie's body went which is a new twist where's charlie's yeah. body she wants her baby back baby back baby back <laughs> good yep. job so surprise perry mason's a lawyer now all it takes is six in between episodes yep and he is now questioning detective dipshit also known as detective Innes. There are some things we learn in this. I'm not going to bore you with the recap of the whole thing. The things we learn are Innes was the first one on the scene after Charlie was found dead. And we actually see a scene of him taking the money and leaving. According to Perry, Innes also framed George Gannon for taking the money and then murdered him. Innes also worked for a guy who now runs the finances for the cult or did until he decided to also kill that guy. And they hired a hooker to nurse baby Charlie. But she was so high on heroin that her, her milk was basically heroin poison, and and Charlie died. And that, that's the reason that Charlie died, and the reason they had to stitch his eyes open. Holy shit. I did not expect that. Like, imagine being that hooker. Yeah. You don't have to suck me. Just feed this baby. Yeah. Plus, like, if, but if she's not lactating already, it doesn't really work like that. You can't yeah. just, like, find a random woman and be like, hey, give me some milk, bitch. Yeah, so she must have been like a, a recently gave birth hooker. Yeah, weird. Mm, they were really, really going on the on the cheap for uh, for a good milking hooker. <laughs> it's like the opposite of a cow. Like when you're going for a cow, you want a good milking cow. When you're going for a hooker, you don't usually yeah. want one who's pregnant and milky. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm just glad that Perry Mason finally combed his fucking hair for this. Yeah, he looked great. He really, really cleaned up good. Also, did you recognize the DA? Yeah, who is also Milton from Office Space and Gordon yeah. from Dodgeball. It's Stephen Root. He was the guy that Mike from Whack Brackets just talked about in our Idiocracy episode. He was yeah. the judge. I can't handle him in a serious role like this. He is actually pretty great. I also He's also in the show Barry on HBO. He He's actually legitimately a, a really great actor. Yeah, I won't argue that he's a he's not a great actor. I just I I have him pigeonholed in my brain as Milton and Gordon, and I just cannot get that out of my head. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It sucks. So as Perry's trying to apparently from all of this yelling and screaming that he's doing at Detective Innes, he's trying to get him to confess to all of this garbage. And some douche stands up in the middle of the. What do trials have audiences? Yes. Okay, is that really what it's called? I doubt. I don't know. Uh, so this trial audience, some douche stands up and is just like, "Not gonna work. He's not gonna confess." Well, <laughs> not now, you douche. Yeah. I can't think of another bad word to call this man other than douche. So now we have a flashback, pre-trial. 
Perry tries to convince his friends that he can get Joe Innes. It's Joe, right? Am I making that up? Yeah, no, it's Joe. Sure it's Joe. Yeah. That he's trying to get Joe to confess. His friends disagree, one of which is our surprise douche from a few minutes ago. I still don't know who this person is. So, question. You're telling me that this is a flashback? I thought it was a dream. I thought he was, like, concocting that, hey, this is how it's going to go. And he was explaining it to the, the people in the room. And, and then that's when they were like, no, that's not going to work. I felt like this was a flashback from, like, the night before he was, like, they were practicing how he was going to. I don't know. I'm going to disagree on that. So you think, think he's just fucking, like, fever dreaming this? Yeah, I think he's, I think he, that's his vision of how the trial is going to go. And then he is, he's rudely pulled out of that by that same guy saying, this isn't going to work. And then we see that it's him saying that in the, in the room in the barn or the farm. That's, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And we'll I don't know go with it. Sure. That's what it was. Well, maybe I, I really don't. I mean, there's no, t- technically we have no way of knowing which one of us is right. I, I don't think that's true. Maybe. So I but, don't even know if anyone in the actual show has a, like anyone who watched <laughs> the full show knows what the fuck you're talking about. Well, so, anyway. So in this fever dream, Miss Street also tries to convince Perry to call Emily to the stand, says that she prepped her and we need to call her to the stand. That's the only way this is going to work. Perry's not having it. Not a fan. Apparently, Miss Street and a person named Hazel are a thing and Perry throws it in her face. So surprise, Miss Street is a lesbian. No, so many surprises in this last episode for me. So Perry and Pete chat about the the case a little bit in a, in another scene. It seems like it's maybe the next day right before the trial, or maybe he's still in his fever dream. I don't know. <laughs> so he asks Pete for help. They they seem to be kind of fighting. It seems like they were at odds at, at some point or about something, but who knows what. So now we're back to the trial. Fever dream over. Back to the case. Emily is on the stand now. Here's the recap from Emily's questioning. Emily was apparently in a loveless marriage. She did not love her husband, Matthew, because he treated her like garbage. George Gannon, the guy that we talked about earlier, one of the three fellas that abducted her baby, was actually calling her and trying to kind of seduce her to distract her from all of the kidnapping stuff. So his whole point was to distract her, but apparently she was having an affair with him. So he was taking his job real seriously, which I mean, great on you. Hard work is good to, nope. Good work is hard to come by. (laughs) So like, great. Good job, bud. I appreciate that. But also you're trying to convince this lady to let you abduct her baby. So not so cool. Yeah. And we also find out that her husband's dad is Herman Baggerly, the really rich guy from the first episode. (sighs) Why is his last name Dodson then? I don't know. Just to trick us? Just to trick the viewer? Fuck yeah, that. That feels like, yeah, why else would it be? He took her name. Not in the 30s. Definitely not. That's what we, we learned from Emily's questioning. Milton Gordon gets up and just fucking destroy, <laughs> destroys Emily on the stand. It is not pretty to watch. Listen, she left her baby unattended for an hour in the 1930s with no baby monitor. She's a stupid bitch. She's guilty. Oh, no, don't. Don't even start with me right now. Come on. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But, but no, I'm not. Her husband is off all of the time working. He's never at home. She has to take care of this baby by herself all the fucking time. And all she wants to do is talk to this guy on this phone and feel loved for a minute. And then it's her It wasn't fault. a minute. It was an hour. It was an hour. She's fucking getting tried because it's her fault that someone came and took her baby. Are you kidding me? Well, no, listen. That's like I... me trying you 
for the fact that you got murdered because you were being a douche. Well, I, there's there's some truth to that. Listen, I, I'm not saying that she is actually guilty and should, should go to jail, but I do think she's a bad mother. Yeah, and obviously she feels terrible about it. She's she gone fucking crazy. She should. But it doesn't Listen, mean she should go to jail for it. I would never leave my baby unattended without a baby monitor for an hour. Never. She was just having a little fun and distracted. I well, understand. That's and called I, being a bad mother. I understand. Okay, do you do you just go in and check on your baby all night? Not when he's sleeping, but he's in the same room oh. as us. If he he's in the same room as us. Okay. If he was in a different room, we have a baby monitor. That's what baby monitors are for. Okay, but if you were asleep and some okay, so if you were sleeping mm-hmm. and someone snuck in your house and stole your baby quietly and didn't make any noise, your fault? No. Well, then what the fuck? <laughs> huh? I like I said, I don't think she should be arrested for it. I just think she's yes, a bad mom. I, I agree with that. And it's ridiculous that she's being tried and potentially going to jail for this. I agree that she was not doing her due diligence as a mother. Okay. But she shouldn't be getting tried for it. All right. We're in agreement then. Okay. So as they're walking out after her questioning, she gets handed a note very shadily that we learn later is an imprint of a baby's foot. Shit's, shit's whack right now, man. <laughs> yes. And then Perry punches Ennis right in the face, and that made me a little happy. It was good. Yeah. So, so then Perry and Barnes give their closing remarks. Perry's is very good. He tugs at the heartstrings, makes you makes you feel like there's more to this than just put this lady away because she was a bad mom. Barnes, the DA, just gets up and says like three sentences and then sits his ass down. (laughs) After this, the jury deliberation is five days. And after the fifth day, we find out that it is a mistrial. Emily is going to go free for now. So when the trial ends, there's this big, wild media frenzy. And all I've learned so far about the 1930s is that cameras were super fucking loud and people ate way more peas than I do. (laughs) Yep. Those are the two things. Did you notice that Perry had EB's briefcase? Yes, I did. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Where is EB? Oh, there's a question about it later. But yeah, (laughs) we learned that it was nine to three. Of the 12 jurors, it was nine people for her being guilty, three against. We also learned that Pete actually paid off one of the jurors to side with Emily and Perry, for that matter. But it's funny that that happened because two other people agreed with him, but they weren't paid off. So they didn't really need to pay this guy. Nope. So then we get a bunch of just like little scenes to kind of tie everything up for the end of a season. First and foremost... Pete is quitting and going to work for what the fuck is his name? Hamburger burger. Bingo hamburger. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's leaving Perry's employee to go work for hamburger, mm. the hamburger. He's going to work for the hamburger. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what the hamburger needs in terms of detective work, but that's I feel like he's got it all locked up. Yeah. I mean, he's got things pretty well figured out, yeah. right? So we also see Emily Dodson, who finally does something with that imprint of a baby's foot, which was apparently very clear to her that that meant go go to the church and talk to talk to Sister McKeegan or whatever the fuck. And there is a new Charlie that she gets handed. And we learn later that basically they're marketing this baby as the reincarnation of Charlie. So put two and two together. The church is who stole 
Charlie's original body to support that story. Yeah, we have a question on it later, but what fucking yeah. wild. She just gets wild. a new kid. Whose kid is that? Where did it come from? Yeah. Whose is it? Why is there a room of 60-year-old man staring at her while she holds it? Oh, my God. It's so creepy. It felt like an Epstein party. Yeah, I don't know what the hell that was. It was very odd. It's a cult. Mm-hmm. We also learn that Pete going over to work for Hamburglar, he's he's going to be kind of detectiving the church and trying to uncover what the fuck is going on at the church. Perry's a full-fledged lawyer now. The black guy that was hanging out with him for a while is now his personal detective. Cool. Don't know who that is. <laughs> Miss Street is going to stay on with Perry, but negotiates a better salary and being basically a full-fedged partner rather than... Did I say full-fedged? You did. Yep, I did. So <laughs> she negotiates being a full-fedged partner. And <laughs> what's so what's interesting is that in the 1930s, I don't think this was really a thing. To have a partner that's a woman? No, just like for a woman to be a lawyer. Good. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. Perry sold his house to the lady for $7,000 and a bottle of tequila. But what a dick. Why did he have to roll it up into a wet bottle? Like, it's not funny. It's he. He's not funny. He's not convoluted. His ego is the size of that chubby guy's penis, and I've had enough of it. I thought the same thing. Wow, that that's going to be a wet, soggy note. That honestly, you're now going to have to upturn that bottle to get the note out, and you're going to pour tequila all over your hand just to get this soggy note that says you were right. It's just such a dick move. It's really terrible. Also, just moving out and leaving a bottle like surprise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jerk. Surprise. You win. Yeah. Very, very interesting for sure. But uh, Detective Detective Costner Holcomb. has. Hmm? Holcomb. Okay. Detective Costner has Detective Innis killed by a bunch of Mexicans struggling to hold his head underwater in a fountain at some dude's house. I love how he's getting killed by a bunch of farmhands. Yep. It's so great. So, Dave, you're going to hate this. Yeah. So this Howard guy, not the two detectives, but the other guy, he is Mikhail from Lost. Uh, the mm. Not Penny's boat scene. It's his fault. God, I love Lost. But the other guy, Holcomb, he was also a Lost character. Radzinski, the Dharma guy who designed the Swan Station, i.e. the hatch. There were three Lost people in this Three show. Lost people in the show. This, I'm in all my glory. Now I know why you suggested this stupid show. <laughs> I it didn't know. Sense. I did not know beforehand. You have, if you go to michael.lost.orgasm.com, Michael has a algorithm that will find any lost character <laughs> in any piece of entertainment in a known existence. Not a bad idea. I might create that. Yep. I, you can, I mean, nail down that nail down that domain right now. So Innis is dead now. I'm confused because I thought he was like the big bad and apparently he wasn't. No, he's just a small cog in a bigger machine. Yeah. And then Perry meets with some lady at a diner. He's, I guess, trying to put pieces together, but he knows that Charlie was taken to prop up the church. And who, who the fuck is this lady? No idea. No clue. Okay, cool. Well, you're with me. And then he grabs the twine from Charlie's eye that he's had in his pocket for somewhere around four months and then blows it off of a cliff into the ocean. <laughs> End of chapter eight. It's not a dandelion, you fool. You can't make a wish on it. Oh, he was wishing hard for some of that for some of that. Ass. What a what a weird ending to the episode. I did not understand the end. 
you want stickers? Do you hate how every sticker is all girly? Do you need a man sticker for your man stuff? Dude list sticker shot. Get your dude on. It's doodlist? Oh, uh, oh. Doodlist Sticker Shop. Drawings of all your favorite characters from all your favorite things. Fill the empty space in your life with doodlist stickers. Found on Etsy at doodlist sticker shop. That's D O O D L I S T. Doodlist Sticker Shop. They're not just for dudes. Well, that was a show. That was fucking Perry Mason. And now we have a good amount of questions from Reddit. One million questions. And we're going to answer every single one of them correctly. They were all sent to us in half-used tequila bottles. Yep. And my fingers are sticky and soggy, and I hate it. Who he does hate it. I love it. So... Let's just dive right in. Let's do it. The first question, I'm going to cram a few questions together here because they're all related in my mind. Now, make a fucking Oreo cookie out of this shit. It's going to be a hodgepodge of Mason. It's going to be like a like a shitty fruitcake. Yep. Jupiter Mm -hmm. nine asked, how did Perry Mason become a lawyer? Now, when this person originally posted this on Reddit, some unknowing user came in and just answered the question. Uh, they didn't read the full post, so that was spoiled for us. Michael m- made sure to give them a proper lashing. I did. Now, Dietzgen17 kind of expanded on that and said, okay, how did he become a lawyer in two weeks? Ooh, okay, we can intriguing. answer that. And on top of that, though, there's two questions that are related, and we'll kind of just throw them all in one and answer it as we go. 93Devil asked, how does Perry pass the bar exam? which is related. And then also Dietzgen17 asked, how does Della's ability to mimic EB's signature come in handy? Uh, and in my mind, that's tied to it as well. Yeah, so I didn't initially think that that was tied to it, but it sounds like you have a theory. So let's hear it. So we know he passes the bar exam, obviously, based mm-hmm. on this question. Yes. I think that he cheats, and he has Della forge EB's signature on the test, or like he's the sponsor or something. I probably should have looked up how a bar exam works before. It I didn't either. <laughs> um, but yes, I think that the the way he was able to pass so quickly is he cheated. There's no other possible explanation. He used EB, who we also find out from another question we were spoiled, has died. And I think he uses all of that to his advantage and and takes takes the mantle from eb and he is now being the lawyer yeah so that that kind of tracks with what i was thinking i was thinking that becoming a lawyer and passing the bar exam was similar to like a driver's test in a sense where you have to have some sort of kind of prior experience or classes before you're allowed to take the test Mm -hmm. so my assumption was that eb's signature being forged by della was to approve Perry for taking the exam, mm-hmm. even though he didn't do any of that other shit, like going to classes or being a paralegal for a specific amount of time or some bullshit like that. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant by being his yeah. sponsor. So, yes, I, I think we're on the same page there. But I don't think he cheated on the test. I think he's a smart ass dude. Yeah, no, I agree. I guess I just meant that he cheated, he cheated the system. system. Yeah, I gotcha. But yeah, I think I think we're I think we're pretty much on the same page there. I think we're right. Cool. That's what I think. Nailed it. So Benihana123 asked, what happened to E.B. Jonathan? Now, this is one that was also partially spoiled by our friend who Michael gave a lashing to, but pretty vaguely. 
and I didn't really see it. So, Michael, this might have been spoiled more than for you than me. But what do you think happened, EB? So am I saying what the spoiling was? Uh, you can say whatever you'd like, my friend. We have a podcast together, and you can say whatever you whatever <laughs> well, I, you I, damn please. I just didn't know how much you knew. But basically, the person said that he killed himself. So we now okay. know that EB killed himself. But I guess the bigger question then is how did he kill himself? I think because he was a lawyer, he definitely completed his will first, 100%. And <laughs> I bet you he also had a DNR in case he botched the suicide. Now, I think in terms of the method, it's got to be a hanging, right? It's so old school, like 1930s. Nobody shot themselves or ate pills or used exhaust from a Model T. I mean, I guess he could have like jumped off a building or walked into the ocean like Awakening style. But I, I think he, I think he hung himself and he was all dressed up, suit and tie, and he had his will and every other document properly filed right next to him. See, now I think this was a setup. I don't think he actually killed himself. Okay. I think that he was killed because he was getting too close and supporting Emily. And it actually falls in line with a question we got later from Efficient Plane who asked, who fell asleep by a stove? I think EB, quote unquote, fell asleep next to a stove and died of CO2 inhalation. But... It was actually a murder. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess I'll answer that. Who fell asleep by the stove? So I think we're led to believe, based on the question, that it's Emily because her alibi was that she fell asleep by the warm fire. Ideally, it would be burger because that would be delicious and I'm starving. But the mm. real answer is Mason. I think it's a metaphor for putting his feet to the fire, wherein he became a lawyer to take over the case to help free emily's name yeah how does it feel to fall asleep by the stove perry what do you think you know if there's too much too many cooks in the kitchen you shouldn't fall asleep by the stove yeah. otherwise you'll kill everyone there you go that makes sense all right i don't hate that all right well, that's the answer all right so next question we have a few from early morning sing song first one being what happened to mason's farm we know that it got sold and i'm assuming that this person knows that it got sold so i feel like something else happened in between to his farm are you in agreement with me on that i think his cows died and then he sold it to carmen san diego for seven thousand. Ooh, great answer i think that somebody came and did crop circles out in his fields <laughs> To try and discredit him as a lawyer. <laughs> Look at this fucking guy. He believes in aliens. This guy got abducted by aliens. We can't trust him. Yeah. This could be just an alien working here. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm mashing pretty much every voice from the 19, like 1901 to 1960. Mm -hmm. So early mornings ing song also asks, why isn't Charlie Dodson in his grave? So the Radiant Assembly took him so they could try to do a ritual of some sort where they brought a baby back to life or they transferred his turtle loving soul to another helpless baby that they stole from a migrant worker. I, I think I think that's it. I think it's. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it is far more business like far less magic like in the sense that. They knew that they could absolutely sell a church who had the resurrected baby of of the angel angel Charlie, and just took Charlie to to basically confirm that fact or try to confirm that with their 
their potential followers. But where did the baby actually go? Like what happened? What happened to the body afterwards? Maybe the maybe baby Charlie's who fell asleep by the stove. Okay, that's just a <laughs> that's a euphemism for his cremation. Yes. Okay. I mean, better than getting thrown out of a train, I'd say. Yeah. Fair point. All right. Well, early morning sing song asked also, what is the significance of half a set of dentures? Ooh, ooh, a fate worse than death. Someone is going to have a really hard time eating corn on the cob. <laughs> That's what I got. That's it. <laughs> I think it was a red herring. So Ennis and or Holcomb left it in the bushes by the outside of the Dodson house. That way Mason would be looking for an old dude with half of his teeth just throwing okay. him off the trail. And you got to remember, like, fingerprints were only admissible in court for like 20 years at that point. And DNA wasn't even a sperm cell in the ball sack of law. Mm-hmm. A, a red herring. I don't understand what the vag that Chubby was sucking on has to do with this. <laughs> the vag that Chubby was sucking on. <laughs> so we got some questions from Conditorite. Why did Paul Drake resign from the police department? I think that he was harassed for his skin color because people in the 30s suck. People still suck, but they've just found different ways to suck. And he was tired of it, and he wanted to work for Mason, who is a bastion of honor in unkempt hair. Mm, yep. I think that he gave in his gun, his badge, and an envelope of money. I think that he was bribed to stay out of this case and to not help with the investigation of it. And he don't play that way, and he's out. Like, the police is all corrupt, and he just says, fuck it. I'm doing my own thing. I, I actually love that answer. That That's a great way to connect the money in the envelope. I, th I think you must be right. Mm. Good job. Thanks. I've always wanted your approval, Dad. Yeah. Condederite also asked, why did Sister Alice abandon the Radiant Assembly of God? I think she just left because it was no longer about God. It was just about money and making money and getting, gaining followers, and it was no longer, you know, about faith or anything like that. It was just a business, and she was not having it. First of all, who is Sister Alice? And second of all, it's I think it's just because, like you said, they were doing freaky shit with babies and she didn't like the negative press that the kidnapping brought on. Yes. So with this question, I think I am able to put the pieces together that the lady at the end is Sister Alice. Um, Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, I think we're both on the same page for that. Mm -hmm. So why are Hamilton Berger and Della Street pretending to be engaged? If I didn't know who Della was, I would assume that both of these things were just cartoon characters like fucking Magilla Gorilla. Give me a break. Hamilton Burger and Della Street. That's ridiculous. Maybe so it would be okay for Burger to help Perry. He needed some cover to be able to work on the good man side. So one, I didn't understand who Burger was. So my initial response is, was, who the fuck is Burger? <laughs> but also, I think this was to keep Della's... Lesbianity? The lesbianity. Yep. Lesbianity. A secret. <laughs> I think that they they did this to hide the fact that Della was a lesbian to to so that everyone still kind of trusted her and that she would lose some of that trust if people knew that she was a lesbian. In the thirties, yes. In the thirties, exactly. Okay. That that could be it. Condideride also mm -hmm. asks, who is having a thing with Myrna Loy's hand model? Yeah, what the, in the actual <laughs> fuck are these people, and what is a hand model other than the guy from Zoolander who has his hand encased in that weird box? You remember that scene? I've Have you never ever seen, seen Zoolander. It. Probably no, not. No. Oh, you asshole. 
great movie. I think this is Hazel. There are some talkings about it. So I think Della has a thing with Myrna Holloy's hand model because Della and Hazel are a thing. Maybe. I'm so I guess I'm guessing that a, a hand model is like a stunt double for hands because that actress Myrna Loy has jacked up digits like a forged check. <laughs> Let me vamp for a moment. Uh Matthew Dodson. Matthew Dodson is who I think it is because just like his wife, he's a cheater. No, yeah. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. How Welsh is Perry Mason? <laughs> so Matthew Reese, the actor who plays Perry Mason, is Welsh, but I'm going to assume that it was a typo and he meant to write Welch, like the grape juice, in which case he does mm-hmm. spend a lot of time whining about a child. And isn't grape juice just child wine? I crushed God, that answer. That, like grapes. That was terrible. <laughs> so my answer is 2% because Welsh people are known for being friendly and I don't think Perry's very friendly. He's not. Welsh people are known for being friendly? Yeah. That's what I found on the interwebs. All right. I nah, wouldn't have guessed. Mm-hmm. Okay. I That's a weird question. Yeah. We'll get weirder. Contenderite also asks, how often has Perry Mason been queer? 2%. Welsh people are known for being very friendly. <laughs> I'm scared to answer this, mostly because queer was capitalized. So I assume mm. that signals it doesn't mean like the sense of queer as an odd or homosexual. Maybe it's like an order, like the Freemasons, but instead of meter sticks and compasses, it's just a ball gag and ramrods. Like, <laughs> what am I talking about? If it's in the gay sense, he did seem uninterested in sex with the woman. And I also read that the original actor, Raymond Burr, was gay. So I guess maybe Perry Mason was gay the whole time. Wow. Interesting. Yep. So 100%. 100%. Yep. Okay. We have now moved on to a new Reddit user. <laughs> 93 Devil asks, would the verdict have changed if jurors were not bribed? I think this is answered at the end, so no. Two other people were dissenting as well. Agreed. Okay, easy enough. Wipe our hands of that one. Yeah, so that one was easy. The next one, not so much. Does anyone still have a copy of that wonderful Asian picture book? (laughs) So what in the actual fuck? And no. (laughs) Um, Are we talking like The Good Earth or Memoirs of a Geisha? Or is it like a catalog of the Asian sex workers? I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Memories of a Geisha isn't an Asian picture book. <laughs> I don't know. I've never read it. Um, no, I, I think it is. I think it's a catalog of those Asian sex workers, kind of like a horse racing book. It shows their stats, like the number of men that they've had sex with, their time to completion. And she just lied about her category of ingesting heroin? Yeah. It's no, like a... You hate to see the, that. The book is called Whores Racing, or... <laughs> God. The Come Fuck Me Derby or <laughs> Semen Biscuit. Okay, you just literally said Semen Biscuit. <laughs> it's one of the most famous horses, all right? <laughs> but it's not even a race. You just <laughs> named a horse called Semen Biscuit. Yeah. And the worst thing about it is that horses are so ridiculously named that I could even see someone just naming a horse Semen Biscuit. But probably spelled like S-E-A-M-E-N. Like it's yeah. just like a, a Navy cookie. You know? a, a Navy man. Navy man biscuit. Anyway. Well, thank you for all those. You're welcome. DeechGen17 is back. Why is the apparent unavailability of infant formula in the 1930s so important? I think this is implied at the end. Uh, they weren't planning on killing Charlie, but they couldn't get formula for him anywhere, which is why they had to resort to the tit fried rice. Mm-hmm heroin infused tit fried rice mm-hmm. i agree with that yeah it, that, that one seems pretty cookie cutter to me is mm-hmm. that they they had to to have 
a, a teat of which for Charlie to suckle. Yep. And they picked the wrong team. <laughs> they did. So Dietzgen17 also asked, how does the emerging commercial airline industry in L.A. affect Perry? Yeah, so I'm assuming that there's probably not a ton of real estate available in L.A. around that time. And Perry has a farm in L.A. So we see it a little with his Carmen Sandiego partner. But I think that his his land is is valuable because... Airlines need airstrips and airstrips need land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the airport is looking to expand. But here's what I think. He finally sells it to Amelia because he doesn't want to sell it to the airport. And he seems like a vindictive guy. My my take on it is Amelia just wants a place to live that's nearby the airport so she doesn't have to jet set all the time. Yeah, I don't think it's that she works for the tourist place and she's buying it up for them. So I think he sells it to her because he doesn't want to sell it to the, the airport. Yeah, my guess is that the airport dude is the dude who he threw a cow pie at. Yes, agreed. Good talk. Ironically enough, we have a question from Efficient Plane. Mm. How were the seven deadly sins portrayed? I'm excited about this answer. I think I nailed this. So, oh god. The seven deadly sins, they also have colors attached to them. Each each sin is a color. So that's how I connected it. So, pride is violet. That actually is the toughest one to connect for me. The only thing I can think of is maybe Emily's eye because she has the the shiner at the end, but she was still woman enough to take the stand even with a shiner and people thought she was insane, but she was prideful and she wanted to be there. Greed I have as yellow and Perry had the yellow stain on his tie when he was greedy and tried to blackmail the studio. Lust is blue. Emily had blue eyes and she was cheating on Matthew. Envy is green, money, led to the kidnapping uh, that was born of Envy, and the green car driven by those same men. Gluttony is orange. That's definitely chubby, eaten to puss. Uh, she had red hair, which is actually orange. He's a gluttonous loser. Wrath is red. Perry beating the red truck with the bat in anger, wrath. And sloth is light blue. Now, the Radiant Assembly of God, their color is blue. And it's just lazy and slothful to expect miracles. You got to make your own luck. But that's what the church does. That's my answer. Wow. I'm not even going to answer that one because that was good. <laughs> Listen, I don't think all of those are right, but I, I, I think some of them are like the wrath and the gluttony, the orange and the red. I think they're too. Yeah, there very well could have been other ones sprinkled around in the middle that we would have seen. But I, um, I appreciate that. My notes were as people. So yours <laughs> is much better. Uh, but I want to hear your seven people that you connected. I didn't connect any people. I just wrote as people. That's all my notes say here. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I don't know that I'm right, but I like my I've answers. I've checked the notes and it says here as people. All right. <laughs> well, the next question from Efficient Plane is <laughs> what awful act did Sister Alice's mother force her to do as a child? So I think that she really wanted her to be the leader of the church and she couldn't have kids or anything like that in order for that to happen. So she just sewed her vagina shut. Oh, boy. That sounds painful. Mm, I bet. <sighs> We've talked a lot about skin sewing on this show more than once. Yeah. More than twice. So I think that's what it is. Okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I think mm -hmm. the awful act is she made her go to church. Uh, no. <laughs> so... My dad used my piss to pass a drug test back when weed was illegal. That's like the only bad thing I could think of. But I don't think that there's drugs involved in the church. So maybe it's something 
fucked up. Like she made her pose naked for the church elders. I don't know. Ooh, stealing children and hiding dead ones and sewing up vaginas, peeing in cups. Who knows what's going on around here? <laughs> what was the cause of death of the child? I mean, unless Mason was flat out wrong in his fever dream trial charlie drank heroin spoiled milk yep yeah i've just checked the notes here and it says heroin laced booby nailed it that must be it and that's actually all the questions i feel good about this i think i think we are i think we crushed 92 percent of them i think we crushed all of them so what did you think overall i appreciate that it wasn't like a, a csi or an ncis or any number of acronyms in which you kind of know who the perpetrator is and you spend the entire show watching this dude try and prove it rather than not knowing until the very end who it is. So that was that was interesting to me, kind of knowing what's going on, um, knowing pretty early on who, who the big bad is and then watching the the case unfold. I don't love period pieces similar to you, so it's it's hard for me to really get behind with 100%. But it wasn't bad. For me, it's HBO. I have yet to watch anything on HBO that I have not liked. I, You know, some things are better than others, but it just has, they they throw money into their things. So it's going to be shot well. They're going to have A-list actors or, or at least actors who are good at their craft. And they're going to hire, you know, great writers, et cetera. So it's hard, it's hard to mess up on HBO. That is true. One way or another, HBO is going to put the time in, which is definitely comes through in a show like this. It was not bad. I, I may go back and watch the middle. It, with this type of show, though, where it's like a mystery show and you get the answers at the end, I, I don't know. I, I might, I just might not be that invested in the middle as much as I want to see it. Yeah, that's true. It does make these kind of shows hard when we, we do our thing. But at any rate, I'm glad that we did it. But Dave, what are we doing next episode? Next episode, we are going to be watching Mulholland Drive. David Lynch. With our friends from over at Damn Fine TV, the podcast. Yes. Mel's and Jasmine, they have a great show, and we are good Instagram friends with them. They've run a challenge, and we've run a challenge that they've taken part in. So excited to have those ladies on. Yeah. So that episode will be coming out September 23rd. It's going to be a hoot. It is. So I don't know if you know anything about David Lynch, Dave, but he is wild so i don't know what mulholland drive is all right well i'm ready for it i hope so because i am not that being said i don't really have anything else i want to pitch or cover here i just you know do your thing subscribe please yeah, and do all do all the stuff if you like what you hear and you, you haven't heard all our older episodes go back and take a listen there's some good shit and some bad shit just some shit for your ear holes well thanks for spending some time with us yeah thanks for coming by like the space between Perry's bed and the wall. It's always better in the center. Nice. Nice.